Hi everyone, my name is Chris Hadley, and I welcome you to the first edition of my new podcast, Viewfinder. And I'm honored to have as my first guests on this first show, Tom Bramiana and Stephen Hoover. They co-wrote a film that's become one of the most popular family films on Netflix. It's called Tinker, and it's directed by Sonny Marler. Having seen it last year at the Louisiana International Film Festival in Baton Rouge, it's really two stories in one. One being about a scientific breakthrough discovered by a brilliant yet sheltered farmer named Grady, who is played in the film by Clayne Crawford, who you'll recognize obviously from shows like Rectify, Lethal Weapon, and Rogue, among other roles. And the other about a life-changing moment that forces Grady to take on a role he never wanted to play. That of a father figure to his late stepsister's nephew, Kai, who which is played in the film by Clayne's real-life son, Colton. Now, though Grady does everything to avoid responsibility for Kai, many people who meet him realize that he possesses an extraordinary gift that's just as powerful as the electromagnetic plant-growing machine that could help Grady bring his farm back from financial difficulty. Yet, as you'll see in the movie, Kai's gift could be the most valuable of all, that of giving Grady a chance to start a family of his own. Now, both Klain and Colton have been getting plenty of acclaim on their performances in the movie from critics and fans. And in addition, Christian Kane, who many of you know from shows like Leverage and one of my personal favorites, Librarians, plays Grady's friend Boudreaux, who works with Grady to perfect the electromagnetic machine that his father developed and kept hidden for decades. Now, I met Tom and Stephen last year at the Louisiana International Film Festival when their film screamed there. They're great guys, great writers and filmmakers, and the story they're about to tell regarding how Tinker came together is as fascinating as the film itself. Now, Before we get started, I just, just wanted to let you know that there are spoilers ahead in this interview, so if you haven't watched Tinker yet, then I strongly suggest you do so before listening ahead. One last thing, the audio quality of this interview isn't as good as I had hoped it would be when I first recorded it, but I do hope you understand and that this doesn't affect your enjoyment of the interview. I'll try to do better with the sound quality on future interviews. Now, without further ado, here is my conversation with Tom and Stephen about Tinker. About the film itself, um, what story does it tell? Go for it, Tom. Uh, well, I mean, basically, it's, uh, you know, it's been categorized as sci-fi and fantasy and uh, family drama. Some have actually put it in a, a faith-based category, but... Really, the story that it tells is just, uh, you know, how to be a better person and, and, and taking care of people, you know, uh, through your actions uh, can make you a better person and help you achieve a goal uh, or accomplish your dreams. Um, in a nutshell, I mean, uh, that's the message behind it, you know, that uh, no matter where you come from as far as beliefs, uh, backgrounds, um, love conquers all, and um, that's the most important thing. So that's what makes it a, a, a real family film. But, but if you're looking at the storyline, the storyline is, is more uh, more plotting. You have a recluse farmer who, uh, very uh, to himself, he is on a secluded property that is his family's land and uh, doesn't have an interest in being a father or um, anything more than what he is as a farmer and a tinkerer. 
working in his workshop, repairing small engines, dabbling around with different things. And he discovers his father's journal from uh, the Vietnam era. And in that journal are research and plans for a device known as Jack that he feels could potentially save the world by emitting an electromagnetic field that will speed up plant seed germination and plant production and cut the time in half. That's his goal. And he feels like that could change the world. However, he gets custody of his nephew, six-year-old nephew, and his sister passes, and it throws a kink in everything that he knows. Um, and he has to come to terms with being a tinkerer and inventor or being a guardian and a father. It's, it's quite a story. This is Tom, by the way. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, you remember we 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 hung out we hang out a few times at meetups and yeah. and uh and uh, and even at the festival, you know, yeah. we spent some time together. Yeah, we uh, did. Yeah. Personally ill fated Louisiana Film Festival. Yeah. I know. yeah, it's gonna make room for more. It's gonna make room for more, I really believe. Yeah. Right. Um so we're going back to that dynamic between father and son in the movie, which is actually Clay Crawford and his real life son. How does that tie back to the overall theme of the movie, which is basically family and especially this sci-fi element that you've got going in the movie? Well, the uh, the father-son uh, role was uh, a pleasure to actually experience because instead of casting a lead actor and looking for a child and casting a child, they already had a respect for each other. And, uh, and a love for each other. So even whenever the cameras weren't rolling, they spent a lot of time together. And Plain spent a lot of time coaching his son because at the time of first production, he was only six. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, his attention span was definitely short. Uh, and it's one thing to be able to have, you know, a child on speed for an hour. But when you have a child, you know, that's in camera, you know, three hours at a time, you know, and then you give them their break and you have lunch and then you bring them back and you got to obey child labor laws and stuff. Uh, you know, uh, it, it, it really made it easier because Clay, aside of Sonny directing, and Sonny Marler, who's our director, inside of Sonny Marler directing Colton, uh, Clay Crawford was really, you know, coaching Colton throughout the whole production process, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. So we saw that family, that father-son dynamic on screen and off screen, but it was really interesting because when we got on screen, Clayne plays a whole different role than anything he's ever played before. Yeah. And um, and I think that is, that's what really has garnered a lot of attention with his fan base uh, because, you know, he come off of... Uh, Rectify on uh, Sundance Network for five year, uh, four seasons, and then he was on uh, Spectral, which was a, a Lionsgate Netflix original, and then he ended up uh, doing two years of Lethal Weapon. And his character Brady is not like anything that he's ever played before, mm-hmm. and it really flexes his talent 
And uh, because his character actually is a uh, high-functioning autistic character. Hmm. Stephen, you have any thoughts on that? Basically, we were, we were talking about um. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, father-son dynamic. Like when uh, we, were, uh, we were writing it, you know, it was very important to be able to, you know, develop that slowly. characters that are in the film? Well, um, first off, um, Colton Crawford, uh, Clay Crawford's son, is, uh, is really the star. He stole the show. All the film festivals we went to, even once we released it, you know, theatrically, and then uh, we started pretty much Amazon Prime and Voodoo and all those other platforms. Everybody's feedback on social media because we have a huge following. They were like, Kane does fantastic. Christian Kane does wonderful. Colton is a star. Mm. And, and there's no doubt about it. He steals the show. He's like a natural and he's never acted before in front of the screen. And realistically, I mean, Stephen, I mean, we, we didn't have any uh, actors that were, you know, besides Christian Kane, who's, you know, who's been doing this 20-something years, just as long as Clayne Crawford had. All the other actors besides Chalet, which is a little, at that time, she was 10 years old, nobody had ever been in front of the screen. Right. So we literally had consisted of mostly amateur actors supporting cast. And uh, that's why you get a very natural performance, uh from the staff, you know, they really didn't know what, you know, it wasn't uh, super polished or they weren't putting on something. It was very, yeah. kind of Sonny, the we gave him the script, but Sonny basically directed him uh, on, more on, on the emotional aspect of the story. So if, um, you know, we had some cast members, like give you an example, one of my favorite characters is Randy. Randy is the uh, the stepfather for Grady uh, Lee Jr. 
and you know Clay Crawford's character, and he's the one who has raised Grady Lee Jr. since his father passed away because Randy had been best friends with was best friends with his father since the draft, the Vietnam draft, and um, so he don't have any children of his own. So the only child that he's ever had in his life was Grady, and they really want him, you know. Just who he is, you can just see, you can feel this angst, but maybe this disappointment, you know, uh, that comes from Randy, because they really want him more for him. It's, it's not because they're disappointed in him, but they just love him, and they know that he deserves more, and they want him to have more. But, um, but um, Randy plays a huge character as far as being able to be a soundboard for Kai when he comes into the picture. And Kai actually confides in Randy a lot. He does. He wants to. Kai wants to play. Randy just wants to work in the shop. So there are these elements that Randy brings to the brings to the story, which is kind of like a passing of a torch. Um, and when you see the film, you'll see what I'm saying. The passing of the torch, mainly being that he's the father role, he's a responsible person, he's also a person that helps in the community, he's a man of faith, and um, and um, he's just a very well-respected individual. And um, when Guy comes into the equation, Randy does what he needs to, you know, to help that seed germinate, or at this moment, uh, you know, this, this new chapter in his life, Grady and Todd might grow. And then Randy, you know, he's out of the picture, and that baton is passed. So uh, he is a, in real life, Tumbleweed, which is his nickname, but it's Craig Smith, uh, but but he likes to be called Tumbleweed. He is a big fan of old cinema, old John Wayne, old... Um, Clint Eastwood cinema, and when he, you see his character, you go, yeah, you spent a lot of time watching old westerns. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much, uh, you know, very good character actor. Uh, I think he's got a bright future. Uh, if he wants to pursue it, you know, he might have to get out of uh, get out of Alabama. He's actually been approached for a commercial like John Deere. Uh, 
But we were in consideration for the Oscar. We uh, we qualified, and um, we were on the short list. Or I say short list, basically being we considered films. You know, we didn't have the budget, we didn't have the advertising or the theatrical release to garner enough buzz to actually make it into the nominations category uh, because you have to have money to do that. Otherwise, you upset a lot of executive producers and, and people in the industry. But uh, but the uh, Louisiana the, the Academy of Motion Pictures and Arts uh, contacted us because they wanted to put uh, they basically requested a copy of their screenplay, and I didn't just email them back. I picked up the phone. I called the librarian. And the librarian sat on the phone and talked to me for about an hour, and he goes, look, he says, even if you're nominated, it doesn't mean that we add you to the core collection for the uh, Margaret Burkett, I think, library in L.A. Uh, I, I we'll think it's the, the spelling on that. I think uh, it's the Margaret Herrick Library. Yes, that's the one. Sorry, sorry. And... Uh, and, uh, and 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 it was and it was it was really surreal because he basically said, "Look, I love the movie. Um, we we like to add to our collection films that are unique because we are a study library, and filmmakers come into this library and pull films that might be similar to theirs or what their screenplay is, and they study how these films are shot, colored, and edited." And um, and although you have a very you know common story um, with a man and a child, I mean you know you know Denzel's done it, uh, um, you know Gifted is another one, Wonder, you know when you have stories like that, it's common. But what he complimented us on was that we've never seen a story told the way this one was told with the elements that we used. So. Now, if you go to the Academy site or the library site, whichever, it's on both. When you type in Tinder and look in their collection, you can actually, you know, uh, you can find uh, my first screenplay and, 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 and Stephen's first, you know, screenplay that's submitted to the library. It, it's a true honor. Indeed it is. I want to also say the... Uh follow up on the acting question I would definitely I definitely want to talk about Christian Kane's role in the film
Tony Marler and Christian and Clay were all friends from the mid '90s when they were all in LA living basically, you know, meal to meal and on couch to couch. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, they became friends and they recognized Sonny had a talent, but they pursued their talent in acting. And Sonny was an actor at that time, but he always wanted to direct. And um, over the years, he did commercials uh, while he was living in L.A., music videos, shorts. But then he moved back home to Greenville, South Carolina, which really wasn't that welcoming to that type of industry, that type of sector. So um, so it took him a while to actually end up finding someone, which was me as a producer, to be able to handle the right brain stuff. Where, uh, 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 I can't get confused, but basically handle the business. You know, and uh, and he presented me to the guys and says, "Look, this is my guy. This is the producer." And they said, "Okay, now that you've got pretty much what we need to get this movie going, and we had executive producers that were out of Greenville, South Carolina, they said, let 'Let's go ahead and make the film.'" So Christian came on board, and he already had. He was the most famous person that was on set. Um, he had. He did Angel. He was a regular on Angel at the beginning of his career. He did four seasons of Leverage, which is a very popular, you know, uh, crime, spy, comedy type show, uh, series that was on TNT. And, uh, and he also was very popular from a lot of, you know, his family films that he did for Hallmark, because that's a passion for him, too. Um, and it, it was, you know, it was just surreal, because he was super nice. He, he's not like your typical, you know, you know, better than thou actor. He was very helpful. He was very understanding. He gave a lot of input. Both Crane Crawford and him gave a lot of experience input uh, from being on high budget sets. But um, but he his fan base in the very beginning attached to the film before we even started our social media and our Kickstarter. He, um, he, he's got a fan base called the Kaniacs. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and they're wonderful. You they know, are. I mean, they, they, they've supported us for five, it's been five years since we started this project in 2013. Yeah. You know, um, so I mean, he, um, he, yeah, he was, uh, he was wonderful to work with. Um, it actually made production go nice having these talents because they already knew how to do their lines. They knew how to do their delivery. They knew what they were doing. It's not like working with amateur actors. And even and what that did, I think that also pushed the surrounding cast, you know, even harder because, you know, they realized when we're doing a take, we're going to get wide coverage. We'll get medium coverage on Clayne. We'll get medium coverage on Christian. And then might we get some close-ups. But, you know, we move on to the next scene. Wide, medium, medium, close-ups, next scene. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So we really burned through a lot of uh, a lot of locations, a lot of scenes. We're actually releasing now as part of our post-marketing campaign. We're releasing deleted scenes, which is practically the equivalent of another full hour of movie. Mm. And these are scenes that no one has ever seen. Um, it just adds to the story, but it adds to the story with a subplot, um, not necessarily the plot between the father and son relationship. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And and it's, hey, uh, Steve, you you had a friend who was yeah. uh, a oh yeah uh, yeah you had a friend, uh, Kat Stewart, who was uh, a 
watched the film, and, you know, they frequently say, okay, there's three films, you know, the film that you write, the film that you shoot, the film that you edit. So the process here was a bit unusual because, you know, they had gone out and had shot some footage, then there was a screenplay, then there was the film that was shot, and then that wound up being about two hours. And she looked at it and she said, look, you really need to get this thing down in 90 minutes. That's how you can get it to the festival. And you could just, you know, it's going to be brutal, but you need to cut, 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 cut. So cutting that story down to be, you know, the essential story with, uh, you know, Clint, uh, Clint's character, Tom's,
that's like uh, Wilmer Calderon. Um, he plays Mana, um, and she has actually, I mean, his performance um, in the help group uh, meeting, um, we've had so many people say, oh, my goodness, that was just an amazing performance. And he's been in several, sh- you know, shows. Uh, he's been an actor for many years, but, you know, he's usually been supporting. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, he was also in this funny comedy that was an Amazon series, uh, Borderline, I think it was. Right. A completely different character, absolutely hilarious. But anyway, Wilmer, he, he was also on set for, uh, for the first production, and they're all friends because they're all out of Burbank in L.A. And, um, and he showed up, and he delivered a performance with Sonny giving him, hey, look, this is your lines. We're about to roll camera in about 30 minutes. He totally nailed it, you know, but you know, he, but that's also a touching part because a lot of people say it's PB14. Yeah, that's what right. uh, Amazon has, or that's what, you know, it's rated at Netflix and on Voodoo. But Wilmer Calderon basically put the gun to his chin, and he, yeah, you know, and he plays Russian roulette. Yeah. You know, he doesn't, you know, he's not successful by any means, or is he? You know, he's successful because he does not take himself out. But, you know, uh, but yeah, it's an interesting, um, it's it, it just interesting to see the feedback, you know, and, and the fact that I think we have a TV 14 on Netflix right now is probably why we are popular on Netflix in that category. Because if you look on, um, on streaming channels, everything is R or TVMA or cartoons, you know, or like you said, one of 15, you know, superhero movies. Yeah. I mean, there's a big kind of a prism effect with the film, you know, with some of our shots with the, uh, Crystals. I mean, certain people will watch it and think, oh, it's about the father-son relationship. Other people will watch it, oh, it's about PTSD. Other people say, oh, well, it's about the crystals. It's about free energy. It's about free energy. energy. It's yeah. Some people focus on the spiritual aspect, but, uh, you know, there's just a lot going on in the film, which has made it a difficult film, perhaps maybe for distributors to say, okay, is it nailing this one very specific genre when it's, you know, it's crossing, uh, crossing many genres and, uh, you know, it makes maybe made a little more difficult to sell, but I think it makes it a more interesting film. And, you know, what do you have? You don't have, uh, you know, I don't know, we were up next to a Star Wars film on Netflix. So we don't have a budget. Yeah, well, we do have a story. We have art. Yeah. Uh, but we've got it. we got a movie that if you watch it, hopefully it will touch you in your life. But, well, the biggest, yeah. And then, you know, audience are watching it more than once. As a matter of fact, uh, watching it a bunch. We have people that have watched it several times, and every time they watch it, they go, We didn't recognize this. You actually explain what happens here earlier in the movie or leads into, and we didn't catch that because we were too busy the first time we were watching it trying to pay attention to what was going on in the storyline because it is a visual story. Hmm. That's very interesting. Now, um, going back to the uh, longer cut of the film that you had and all the scenes that you had to cut out of the final cut, do you think you'll be releasing the longer version of the film at some point, or do you feel that it's as good as it can be? I mean, I know that you you wish that there was more that you could add to it on the first version, but yeah. do you feel that you could possibly release the extended cut of the film at some point for people who might be curious? Yeah, 
if anybody knows the people that know film that you know usually the director's cut comes out and they go wow i guess they really didn't need those scenes you know what i'm saying yeah like, to us, we actually are going to release a complete storyline called The Mercantile. Hmm. And then we have another storyline, which is Boudreaux's, uh, Christian Kane's character's backstory, you know, because he is actually a mixture of French and Choctaw Indian, uh, Native American. Um, sorry, didn't mean to say Indian, but anyway. Yeah, edit. But, uh, but, uh, but yeah, he's a Choctaw Native American, and we actually called, we, we, uh, I, I spoke to the uh, Choctaw band in, I think it was Jenny, Louisiana, and got a lot of information from them on how their old ceremonies went, burial ceremonies were, um, and how their heritage was, so we could get as accurate as possible um, the, uh, you know, the Native American approach to it because Christian Kane being a Caucasian person because he's mixed descent, um, you know, it, it played really well because he still holds on to that heritage and there's another, there's stories that, uh, I mean, like two, three minute little clips of these scenes that we're releasing and like I said, I've got probably mid-year, I'm going to be releasing them every Tuesday. We started on Thursday, but now we're shifting to Tuesday since the Netflix announcement kind of threw my mojo off schedule. But anyway, but, uh, but yeah, a director's cut is in the works. Um, you know, it costs money to go ahead and redo those edits and then finish the DCP and, and get the deliverables done right because we have to go back through QC and all that. So, And a lot of that stuff, you know, wasn't colored. Although it really looked good, you know, it, it wasn't sound sweetened or colored. So, you know, there's some work that has to be done to it. But eventually we would like to end up releasing all the story, you know. Yeah. We were a small filmmaker, so we, they didn't even give us an option for behind the scenes, you know, in the beginning when we were releasing our Blu-ray. So, mm -hmm. I mean, we were really, I mean, we were like, okay, it's a small film. Okay, good. Y'all done some, you know third-rate, you know, second-rate film, you know, festivals, but you didn't do Toronto, South by, uh, you know, Tribeca, uh, Cannes Film Festival, or Sundance. So, I mean, you know, we were just kind of overlooked. Hmm. Right. And, and, uh, and it's okay with me because, I mean, we're on Netflix right now. We've, we've you know, we've got great reviews on Voodoo, you know, it's owned by Walmart. We sold out at Walmart and stores on our release date. We sold out on Amazon.com for our release date. I think Target, Best Buy, uh, and Barnes and Noble sold out, you know? Wow. But they underestimated, I think they underestimated really what family, you know, a film that's for family, but not scared the kids. Right. Uh, it's, it's for family, but it's totally scared for adults but it entertains children because of the, uh, you know, the other elements that we have with the, the, the children that are in the film. Yeah. Well, there's a, uh, I think it was the adventure that the movies aren't finished. They're abandoned. So I think at a certain point you have to just get to a finish line to get something out. And that's what we were facing here. Uh, certainly some of the footage, you know, stands by itself. And it's just going up on the Facebook page, you know, uh, people need to be following that if they want to see it. And, uh, Tom, this is actually part of a trilogy, if you want to tell Chris about. Oh, yes. It's your trilogy. <laughs> okay, so for the first time that Sonny and I wrote 
uh, the beginning part of the story. The director, it's a story by him because he came up with the ideas with Tony Crawford. And then those ideas branched off when Stephen came on board after the first production. And pretty much, we have enough story and backstory that consists of three different movies. Hmm. And the first movie uh, was too expensive because it actually is a time period piece or a period piece in uh, the Vietnam era going through the late 60s, 70s, and 80s. And then we have, uh, you know, the story that you see on Tinker that's released, which was a very contained, very small cast, and it's almost kind of like, uh, and I hate to compare it like this, but, you know, uh, uh, New Hope. You know, it was a quiet you know, the, 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 it was basically picking up where, you know, Grady has a quiet life going up from a kid to now a 35-year-old man, and now that life is getting interrupted. So we pick up with Tinker from the second film, which was a quiet, in-the-country contained film and the least expensive part to shoot. And then we have an element where Kai gets older, and he is now coming into his abilities to manipulate and hear frequencies. Mm. So Kai has, and we don't exploit it much in the second story uh, in this one, but there is a moment where you see him as a young kid, you know, leading on to I hear frequencies, and and uh, his mom tells him that he's special because you know he can hear things that other people can't. And then his moment where he actually leans down to a stream and he puts his hand down and just his resonations or his aura causes the uh, water to ripple. You know, but yeah. we don't go further. We don't go more into that. You know, because that's not what takes place at this moment. He's still six years old. You know, we're not like you know uh, some of these. Uh, films that, you know, all of a sudden want to go super sci-fi and just all of a sudden here these kids are, now they're doing mind control that levitating. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, we're not ready for that. Yeah, it was difficult because there was so much uh, thought that Sonny uh, and Tom had both been put into the, the story and the backstory that it was, you know, because we got expensive back and then was, we got to cut back the voiceover, we got to tell the story that we can tell right now. And uh, that was a challenge to, because there was such a, you know, such a completed mythology. Uh, when we were eight, Stephen, when we released the voiceover, uh, when we released the voiceover, um, I think it was a week ago. No, the first release, because that was the very beginning of the film. And what we did was right. we released the alternate beginning. And it actually started off with a voiceover. I still love it. <laughs> we, we battled uh, we battled that link about the voiceover uh, but you know there, there's a lot of information there and if anybody wants to really keep you know getting into the story and finding out it's certainly uh, there to be explored and that's been such a great thing having the, uh, the social media because now you can interact with the fans and you, know, you can communicate to the people who are actually watching the movie and moved by it and uh, get them updated on, uh, you know, the unseen footage behind the Oh, yeah. 
the next video released actually shows Brady's um, autism hmm. uh, a lot stronger than now he has ticks and even me as a stutter when he gets excited when he's talking to Boudreaux and Tinker um, he nom, nom, nom. he always mumbles to himself and he talks to himself and he and he squinches his lip you know and the hmm. way he walks although he's a 35 year old character he walks like he's you know 75, but it's just because he's like a man's man. He works on a farm and body's broken from all the manual labor. And um, and so those elements there, and, and, and the fact that he wears the same clothes all the time, you know, uh, just doesn't want to, you know, put the mental thought into what I'm going to wear today. You know, I'd rather be, you know, doing something for the community or I'd rather be, um, you know, um, inventing something or working on something. So and that was actually inspired by the documentary, and I can't remember, but there was a documentary about the guy who created Segway. Hmm. And I watched that documentary, and he had a closet, gorgeous closet, full of denim shirts and denim pants. Hmm. The same exact thing he wore. I mean, like, I mean, look at Jobs. You know, look at, you know, a lot of these models. <laughs> he got the same clothes, so he didn't yeah. have to think about what to wear. Like, there it is. Yeah. Well, they were, and, so, and, that, and that's Brady, you know? Yeah, they were geniuses, you know, but they all had these, their own quirks, their own individual quirks about them. And uh, and you know we struggled a lot because he excelled in areas that we were like wow that's so advanced even the psychologist was like that's so advanced for him but he cannot remember days of the week hmm. he can't remember months and he can't remember you know uh, he, does, he has no organization skills but I mean creative it's amazing so you know we were going through the diagnosis of him at the time which uh, we were making tinker and writing the storyline. So it was very, you know, it all happened for a reason, but it was, you know, it's these geniuses that we find that are out there right now. And some people might say that they're handicapped, or some people might say that they're, you know, they're slow. But in reality, they're they're who they are, and they're who they were created to be. And if you just let them, you know, um, find themselves, those talents are going to grow, and I personally feel they'll benefit the world. You know, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, um, it, it, I mean, I, I just hope that, you know, whatever project we work on next is, uh, um, gets the same type of, you know, reflection, you know, from our audience. Um, and I'll tell you another thing that was very interesting. Chalet is a little girl that was in our film and, uh, she wasn't originally part of the script or the cast. She saw the Kickstarter campaign. And she actually contacted us and said, I want to be a part of the movie. Wow, that's great. And um, and we were like, oh, well, I don't have a part for you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and they were like, well, you know, just know that we would like to be a part of it. Um, because, you know, and I was talking to her father. And he said, uh, she really wants to be a part of this and, uh, and we'll do what we can, you know. So we eventually end up having her on set for three days. And we wrote in a character for her, uh, Abby, who actually worked out beautifully because we didn't have another child. And uh, Kai was the only child of the character. And luckily, they, 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 we brought him a friend in, you know, uh, that 
was actually introduced to him midpoint of the movie uh, to Boudreaux's niece because um, uh, because she looks she looks Native American, and um, so we brought uh, Abby into the picture, and uh, it was perfect because those kids played together, they acted well, they soundboarded well together. Um, you know, a lot of the a lot of the conversations. You know, I've got a little hint of Louisiana in there, um, and uh, that wasn't in the script. That was just something that Kai came up with while the kids were walking, mm-hmm. and we and we grabbed it on camera. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you know, but they really had a great working relationship together, and uh, and, it, and it makes a well-rounded family film. You know, having a boy and a girl child, uh, and you know what's crazy too is that. Right after we shot Tinkers, she actually was diagnosed with uh, stage four uh, Burkitt's, mm-hmm. and um, and she has beaten it, and since then has become the ambassador for the Beads of Hope, and has been recognized for her charitable contributions, you know, um, uh, for cancer awareness. So, I mean, much props to Chalet uh, Brandon. Mm-hmm. That's, that's wonderful. And yeah, there's a lot of connections like that that have happened with the film. Uh, one being uh, Stephen Kennedy, who did the music, what is a friend of a friend, and he just came in and did a fantastic job. Very subtle soundtrack uh, and the underlying themes that he created, and he worked with Tom, and he is a double master's uh, graduate in music performing and theory, and uh, chose to uh, bring his talent Mm-hmm. 
of oblivion. Uh, you know, so I mean, a lot of our posts now, our post department's probably more decorated, you know, than a lot of our crew on the front end, you know, or below the line on the uh, on the production side. But you know, but that was because we were able to actually steer this through Celtic, and by having those local batteries resources, you know, a lot of these people they saw the film, they're like, you know what? They'd like to work on it, and they like to work on it basically because of the. Uh, I think it was because of how you meet this movie was. Okay. Uh, and that went all the way. That went all the way through distribution, where uh, you know the distributor first took it out to pay per view, and then now the Netflix uh, exposure to that thing again, which is for an independent film, is pretty you know, pretty rare. Accomplishment. Well, I tell you. Well, I'll tell you what we did. We had passed QC for domestic on our first pass. Mm-hmm. And then on uh, on international, we had uh, we had a few notes on the M&E side, okay, music and effects side. Yeah. But that was about it, you know. And we passed uh, international QC uh, on our second pass. Okay, yeah, I was wondering uh, what QC okay. meant. Yeah, exactly. Quality control. They give you a list of what you have to go pick for them to distribute the film, and you have a list of what's called deliverables. And all the time Tom was on the ball and had all that stuff done because you have to have. Uh, and, I'm, and I never, yeah, I never dubbing, that. yeah, dubbing, uh, um, title, subtitles, and a lot of things. Yeah, captions, you know. Yeah, they need to put the film out. Um, so, yeah, you know, some other possible plans are a, uh, a book of the screenplay that would include you know, information about the production, the photographs, and uh, you know, that's usually in the works. <laughs> you know, and uh, possibly, you know, a sequel or a prequel is out there if, uh, you know, uh, We're working on a screenplay for the prequel right now. Uh, I mean, uh, as far as the title goes, you know, it's got a working title. It's Tinker 2, originally something like the Tinker T-O-O. Uh, yeah. I like Tinker Square. Mm. Okay. Yeah. You know, with, uh, with the little uh, exponent 2 yeah. at the right. top. Yeah. We'll stick with the scientific theme of it. Right. And, uh, and uh, speaking so, of the uh, uh, scientific elements, um. How did they factor into the story, and how did you manage to show them through the special effects, the di- the digital effects that are part of the production for the film? Well, it was pretty interesting because you know, um, you know, we didn't want to go Michael Bay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Michael Bay flares are beautiful, you know, uh, but they've been so overly done. Um, and, and everybody is like, you know, you watch Star Trek and you go, wow, that, that's a player that would never be there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of started with Tesla. I mean, Nicola Tesla and the series of where the science begins in the film, but that's uh, the basis for science. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the theories behind Jack is basically uh, a combination of electromagnetic, uh, a combination of uh, free energy, uh, wireless electricity, and um, and perpetual motion uh, using magnetism. Hmm. And um, I've, I've, for years, I've studied uh, free energy, and I even had a hydrogen cell on my truck. 
and it did really well. It was just dangerous, um, you know, hydrogen. Uh, but, um, you know, we had a test on the as well, briefly, somebody did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. So, uh, so anyway, we did a lot of research before we started tackling the story. So to give you a little idea, there's some elements in the story that are really hardcore in Tesla, using a Tesla coil um, uh, to amplify electro electricity. But at the same time, there's magnets in it, which the whole goal of Jack was to be a self-contained machine that does not have to be plugged in, but actually pull energy from the ions in the atmosphere. Um, and um, what that would do is that would resonate an electromagnetic field, which in 1996, a Japanese professor at Florida State University proved that, that Tesla magnets in close proximity to plants actually sped up plant growth by 50% hmm. um, or reduced plant growing time by 50%. Wow. You know, it sped it up by 100. Uh, so what happens is, is that they basically said what takes usually uh, two months to grow, you can get the same growth out of one month. Hmm. And, um, and so it was, and it's on YouTube. We've discovered, we found it's on YouTube. Um, and uh, so we said, okay, this is a good principle that's going to actually work toward our agriculture side of the story. But on the scientific side of the story, we also wanted to take in, um, old, you know, uh, Sonny's a big fan of Coast to Coast Radio. And, you know, uh, they talk about, you know, uh, the Philadelphia Project. They talk about, you know, uh, a Pegasus Project, the Rainbow Bridges. Um, and there was this one inventor at one time that actually said that if he was going to, well, he said that he actually created uh, a rainbow bridge, which would actually be able to cross time continuums. But it seemed the children were the only ones that the ones that were easily would be the ones that were best to use the tra that mode of transportation because they said that a battleship disappeared and then it came back. But when it came back, there were bodies that were fused inside the metal of the sub ship. Yeah. Well, okay, so uh, so we took that kind of off the record. If you if you put through the article and you have a lot of these terms in it, you'll get a lot because yeah, there's a lot of people that are very into this stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I mean, yeah. You know, there is no doubt about it. Uh, when you're talking about, you know, when I'm talking about rainbow bridges and uh, and you know and. And I'd have to look it up and, uh, to figure out the names of these people and, you know, whether they were debunked or whatever. I mean, this is the science fiction film. Uh, <laughs> you know, exactly. We had a lot of people that were like, well, how does the machine really work? I'm like, if it really did work, you think I'd be trying to make a movie? I'd be making a movie. I'd be a billionaire. And all that energy uh, runs through the crystals. Yeah, well, the crystals were actually brought into the equation because, I mean, crystals in general are basically the secrets to a lot of our technology. Mm -hmm. And also uh, on the metaphysical side, which uh, uh, Sonny has a grandmother who's a Reiki master and a, and a metaphysical healer, and she uses tuning forks and frequencies and, and, and crystals. And so that's why the Reiki audience and the metaphysical, you know, um, the, the, the metaphysical care, um, sector um, has really pulled themselves to this film because they've never seen a film that actually goes or embellishes on what they believe. You see 
what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of them that, you know, they believe in a God, but they also believe that elements on this earth are not being utilized to its fullest. You know, so whether it's amethyst or whether it's citron, which we actually use citron crystals in the movie, um, you know, these things right here are, are actually part of people's lives, you know, that uh, have focused, you know, a lifetime of, uh, of education on, you know, learning about elements. You know, so, I mean, it did, you know, we have uh, a Christianity uh, uh, presence in Tinker, but at the same time, we have a crystal presence. And so, although we were nominated for Best Lead uh, Male Actor at the International Christian Film Festival, when I spoke to Christian, they were, when I spoke with Christian Film Reps, they were like, oh, it's too, it's too not Bible Belt. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because we did have these elements that, you know, kind of go against doctrine, you know, uh, religion. Um, I'm a Christian myself, you know what I'm saying? Right. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not offended by it, but it's because, you know, anyway, uh, it's, just, it's a story. It's science fiction. Uh, but anyway, um, don't tell somebody who, you know, who who's dedicated their life and education and has tapped into enlightenment. <laughs> Uh, like a Tibetan master who knows the the, the principles of Om, you know. Yeah. So, so, uh, so yeah. So we have elements of uh, frequencies that are, have a strong presence. Uh, when the movie was actually made, we told our composer Stephen Kennedy to focus on five twenty eight hertz, you know, um, to to craft the soundtrack, um, and that's called a God frequency. And um, it's, uh, it's known through scientists that the, the blade of grass and most things in nature resonate at 528, and that, that and it's called the God frequency. Hmm. So, uh, so yeah, we don't. I mean, you couldn't tell everybody this in the film, right. <laughs> you know. But yeah. they're feeling it when they're watching it. That music is resonating with them. Whether it's going to be maybe a chakra that's being you know, by this frequency coming off out of the speakers of the film, or whether it's going to be the color palette, the creamy color palette that was shot with Toa lenses, you know, from the early 70s that were the same type of lenses that shot Rocky and Godfather. Um, those were got out of Burbank. You know, we shot on the uh, Red Epic um, uh, 5K uh, Mysterium chip camera, and then the second one we shot on a 6K Dragon when it first came out. So, Everything, music, picture, you know, uh, was was all intentional. But how do you how do you do that in the story? Well, a lot of the elements that you put in the film would never be known um, unless you're just telling a regular story. Right. Um. You know, going back to the story, uh, you know, there's there's a discussion <laughs> among writers, uh, character versus story. You know, which is most important. And really, story is a mechanism to reveal character. And, you know, in this story, Brady is the person who has the art to connect with other people. But, you know, that's through everything that's through Kai. He's the, the catalyst. And if you look at all the different people he interacts with, you can see where they were before they met him and where they are after and the positive effect he's had. And, uh, you yeah, know, that's... Uh, 
basically everybody has a, has everybody's chapters uh, come to a completion around God. Right. And this is, you know, it's, it's fantasy, and like I said, this is maybe confused people or maybe an intriguing film as far as we're concerned that, uh, you know, there's a line in the Randy has, six inch line, six inch line, and it's kind of, that is, that is the invention, that is this film, really, that's the, uh, yeah. put together with six inch line to tell yeah. the story, and the, the machine that really, you know, the goal with, uh, the external goal, but you know, the internal goal is connection, and that's what this uh, boy does. You know? well, the, the cool thing about the machine is this is where you start to realize that if you actually, once you watch the film and you actually start to understand how this thing unfolds, there's two machines. Jack one is the first build, okay? And with, and, and there's going to be some spoiler alerts, but it's on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> Go watch the movie, then listen to the movie. Yeah, I'm going to cut this part out. You've got uh, Kai. He uh, he wants to help his uh, you know his uncle. And uh, the first machine is built identically to where the plans are set up. Boudreaux is Grady's best friend, and he helps him build this machine. He's the machinist, and he puts everything together, but it does not work. And he doesn't understand why it doesn't work. Well, Boudreaux, because he's in touch with nature, you know, because of his Native American heritage, he's in touch with Mother Earth. He understands that, you know, that he needs to harness energy, and by doing that, he ends up introducing, you know, a tetrahedron, which is a crystal, uh, triangle, or pyramid, and he doesn't, he's not going to give it to Grady because Grady's not going to listen to him because what does he know? You know, he's going to drive So he gives it to Kai, and Kai doesn't tell Grady. Instead, he goes to put it on the machine himself because he knows exactly what to do with it. Well, what's interesting is that the machine works in the presence of Kai, but it doesn't work when Kai's not around. Mm. And it's because of, uh, uh, well, the frequency that Kai yeah. It's the frequency that Kai resonates at. Right. And if Kai's happy, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Then he's, 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 you know, he's delivering uh, frequencies that, you know, that, that make things happen. So the machine works when Kai gets an opportunity with Grady's permission to put the crystal back, but the next day it doesn't work again. He goes, man, why don't you work? Well, in order to accomplish the full goal, he has to go back to visit. His mom has reared him his whole life knowing that he's special. And she is, uh, she's the holder of the crystals that was passed down from her father from the 60s. I'm going to take you way back story here. But she holds these crystals from the 60s whenever her dad gave her these crystals. And then the journal was left with Grady. Hmm. In other words, there's two different ingredients to this, to this machine. And they were separated when the father passed, the parents passed. So the daughter got the crystals, and the father uh, and, and Grady got the got the book. He didn't know he had the book, but his, but he got the book. And what happens is, Kai he ends up understanding based off of his knowledge 
what his mom told him he needs to do. So he has a telescope and he's trying to get the position of the stars and, you know, uh, you know, people believe in positions of moons and stars and it's a change of time, you know, it's that. So anyway, he knows these things and he finds a way to use these crystals to literally go back in time and visit his mom. Mm. Mm. And when he built his own apparatus, sticks and rocks, Rainbow Bridge. <laughs> his Rainbow yeah. Bridge. When he yeah. built his Rainbow Bridge, he goes back in time, visits his mom, and his mom, you know, greets him. And then she tells him some important information now that she knows that he's with Grady. But the funny part about it is that if you watch that movie going in, you don't realize mom knows everything that goes on and that is about to go on because she's been the keeper of the crystal the whole time and has had access to time travel. Mm. Very interesting. And to kind of look at Grady as, uh, you know, he's mental. He's the head, intellectual. He's a scientist. Yeah, the mother is... Metaphysical. Yeah, and so it's only through the combination of both that the machine works. Exactly. So, basically, Ty goes back in time. He visits his mom. His mom says... Like, like, let me tell you something. Listen here. So when he comes back, we don't hear Mama telling him all this stuff. We just let you know that his trip goes back back in time is successful. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's, you know, from, you know, that part of, you know, storytelling and challenging and making visual, which I said, you know, working with the talent to direct something funny, uh, you know, hey, we're going to know. You know, we can add it up, let the audience add up what's going yeah. on or... What's, you know, the other thing is films have worked so hard to explain things away, to watch it again, watch it again, you know, watch it three yeah. or four times, preferably, and, uh, you know, then you can see all these elements that were in play, and you can understand, you know, all the levels of work. I think there's such, a, such an effort by filmmakers to explain everything that, you know, is taking fun out of watching, and yeah, nothing ever done. The, the cool thing is going to be shooting the first, the prequel, because a lot of this actually is, is unfolded. You know, is, is you, you learn a lot of this stuff in the very beginning on the first film, which makes the second film less of a mystery, which is why right. it's really beautiful to release the second film first to keep the mysterious element. And then when we release the first film, Needless to say, a lot of people are going to be like, ooh, I can't wait to see the next one. And they go, like, oh, okay, good. They made it in 2018. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, speaking of content, the extra content that you have from the film and surrounding the characters, where can people go to access it? Uh, what we're doing right now is that we are actually releasing it uh, simultaneously on uh, – we do our announcements like usually two, three days in advance to let people know what's coming out. So we give them a screenshot and a little backstory. And then we upload it on YouTube on our Tokyo Productions channel. And then we also, uh, and then we share that on Facebook and, um, and through our Twitter, you know, through the links, you know, through Twitter. So it's all through social media. But, uh, so basically there's a library that, uh, that we're building on Facebook videos. Uh, and then, of course, on YouTube. So eventually somebody will be able to sit through and watch the whole mercantile as it unfolds because we're not doing it non-linear. You see what I'm saying? We're letting them follow it just like they would be following it in the movie. But they might want to watch the movie and then see where these scenes would actually be inserted because there are elements and places where these scenes actually fit and they belong, you know, 
and like I said, we had a full run and we had to start cutting. Um, so it was hard to actually cut some of those scenes and still make the original, make what you see today, you know, still uh, have that flow that we were looking for. But, you know, we're not going like, oh, by the way, this is the end. Or, by the way, this is this moment. We're actually releasing these things in, um, in sync where they were supposed to be time-stamped. And these were all you know, cut from the film's original cut. That is correct. Yeah. Um, that is correct. It's a, I mean, from the very beginning opening scene that I love, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. to the, you know, uh, we did a, uh, a visit to the mercantile uh, whenever Grady, uh, the second one we released uh, last week, uh, when he actually goes visit KC at the mercantile. And, I mean, the, basically the premises behind the subplot was Grady wanted to you know, help the local people. You know, he's all about local. He's all about buy U.S., you know, buy local support, you know, local farmers, because his farm is struggling, and he's trying to revitalize people that are living off of themselves inside a community instead of trying to go to Walmart or go off to these big, you know, stores that are just taking money out of the system. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. So was... We got to make sure that this local mercantile survives because people that have honeybees can sell their honey. People that make furniture can sell their furniture. People that have their own timber can sell their own timber here. You know, do their own, you know, whatever, clothes, crafts, you know, rocking chairs, whatever. Uh-huh. And, that was, and this is actually based off of a store that really opened up where we really shot in Clay, Alabama. You know, yeah. this, um, this person, uh, Kelly Stephens, she actually took her money and opened up a uh, rundown Piccadilly and opened a mercantile. And when you walked in there, you had local product. Hmm. You know, whether it was candles or whether it was, you know, furniture. I mean, she, of course, had, you know, she bought feed for, for cattle and, and, and goats and all that stuff from a, from a um, you know, a distributor. But, you know, her, her goal was to try to be more of a natural type store. And so that's where this storyline came from, and it worked well using that location. So he's helping this girl, Casey, who uh, basically is opening up a store, and he was doing the best he can to go ahead and delegate out to Boudreaux, his buddy, what he needs to get, and uh, and uh, to, to help this lady have a successful opening. You know, it's not a, not a big, you know, arc on the story, but the principle behind buying local and supporting your local community and the amount of the pups was what we were shooting for. Right. And it's sort of a the community is a reflection, you know, there's reverberation, you know, there's echo, there's the money if you have the community. Ripple. And family, you know, there's the ripple effect where as if everything is being sucked out of the community, it's kind of withering and dying. Uh, I do want to say, I'm not sure, Chris, if you're, you know, your articles are targeting filmmakers or writers or who specifically they'd be aimed at, but I, I really think, you know, this was before I was on board, Tom and Sonny really did a great job of, okay, what have we got? What do we, let's take stock of what we can go do. Let's go make a movie. And it was, you know, Sonny fortunately had access to friends from, you know, making uh, friends that he was able to access as actors. But, okay, we have a farm. We have, you know, this idea for the story. But it, it sort of, I think a lot of writers or filmmakers even are trying to do things that are outside of what they really can raise money to go do. And this is, hey, you know, here's some friends, let's get together, let's go make, let's 
essentially what started as a you know low no budget and then you know became what it became. So uh, we started with forty thousand dollars, hmm. and with forty thousand dollars, we literally shot fifteen days with rental gear that was out of Bur- out of uh, Burbank around Christmas, which was actually. Um, negotiated down to basically three-day weeks because it was Christmas and they were about to shut down for two weeks. <laughs> yeah. So we basically shot the first, we shot 50% of the film. Uh, actually, I mean, with our deleted footage, we shot 75%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, but we paid $0 for location. For zero dollars for a production office, we actually camped up in an old closed-down school and city uh, municipal building. It was on piers. It was a hundred-year-old building. It was super cold and freezing. Uh, pipes froze up because it was the lowest, coldest winter. But we literally paid zero, and we had the community help us make this film. But we were able to do it a lot easier than if we went in and said, "Well, what is the name of your film?" Uh, Devil's Daughters. You know, we could we could have done <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, you know. Um, I mean, I couldn't even get into. I had a scene that was in a hospital that we had to convert to an ambulance because some of the local hospitals were owned by the Catholic Church or whatever, and uh, or you know they had their values, and they said, "I'm sorry, but you have this, you know, Russian roulette moment, and we can't, you, oh, we, you, we can't support it." Mm. Right. So it, it completely eliminated some of these uh, hospital scenes, which actually turned into an answer. And it turned out really, really good and contained. It was, it, I mean, the, the pool from the camera coming out of the ambulance was just a great close before we open up and put going into the church. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, was, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, we were able to, I mean, make the best of it. But I guess <laughs> if there's filmmakers that want to know how we did this, we didn't do this. I mean, I've never done this before. I'm just saying. I, I do real estate. I manage development and stuff. But when it comes down to doing film, uh, I've never had to deal with, you know, insurance and SAG and, and you know, uh, unions and timeless constraints and uh, and hard ends and hard outs. But, uh, but, you know, and I mean, we really didn't have a massive pre-production. We had pre-production, you know, about two weeks before. We spent a week in Birmingham. And then we came back and actually started typical photography, like, after two days of being there, and the first day was just a B-roll. But if you're waiting if you're waiting for somebody to give you permission to begin your filmmaking career, <laughs> you, you know... You become, a, you become yeah. a professional later. Yeah. yeah you'll, you'll be waiting forever. I mean, you guys have said, let's take the bull by the horns, let's get out there and start something. And, uh, you know, that got, that got things rolling. Yeah, 
I mean, I mean, and realistically, I mean, it's funny because I've done a lot of reading because I kind of did it fast backwards because I actually got in and we did some stuff. I worked on some reality here in Louisiana with some crew out of L.A. Uh, we did music videos, a lot of PSAs in Greenville, South Carolina. So Sonny and I polished our relationship through our productions for about a year before we actually attempted to do um, a feature film. But, but once we knew, I knew how he edited, I knew how he shot. Uh, he knew how I worked. We really said, okay, we've got the core here that if it's just us, we know we can get it finished. You know, if it's just us, we know that we can actually deliver something. Um, so what happened is we said, okay, well then cool. We know it's us. We can deliver it. Now we just got to go ahead and find the team that we need for two weeks, which realistically, uh, Tinker actually was shot over a period of 30 days, you know, combined. Um, but I mean, but yeah, I mean, we, we, if we were waiting on our budget that we even were, we ended up spending on the film, which still is very low, it's still under the ultra low budget guidelines and stag, um, you know, we probably would have never started. Yeah, there's, a, there's also a stone soup effect, if you know that old story. Uh, I read it to my daughter every now and then. Uh, when you start actually making a movie, you know, people show up to help you and doors open and things start to happen because you've got a start date, you've got, the, you know, once the momentum of an actual production is there, things start to happen that uh, are not going to happen if you sit around waiting for somebody to give you permission or grant you permission. And I think the same thing applies to writers. A lot of people think they should have their stories, you know, sketched out already, and everything's going to be perfect when you go in to put your screenplay together. Well, it just didn't work out that way for Tinkers. Um, you know, I mean, that's why we ended up with three different trilo uh, trilogies with three different timelines. You know, because we were trying to throw stuff at it and say what would work, and then we looked at it and said, well, what can we afford? Do away a bunch of pages in the back? Do away a bunch of pages in the front? <laughs> Having that personality to be able to say, we're going to get this thing finished. You know, I'm not, because if you, if you are prone to walk away from something, that's an easy route and it's always there. And there's always a reason to walk away from any film, you know, because, you know, it's just, you're going to be a little bit crazy and dedicated. And somebody said any film getting completed is a miracle. That's true. But it's also the determination, and, you know, props to Tom for that, uh, to say, I'm going to get this movie finished, you know, we, we're going to do whatever it takes to get there. And like I said, that's when the opportunity to start opening up, because guess what? There's somebody out there that's a talented uh, musician, writer, actor, editor, and you know, people out there looking for opportunities who want to get involved in a film that's actually going to get done. Can't do anything without money, can you? Right, exactly. <laughs> um, besides, um, besides all that, besides you know your determination to get this done, come hell or high water, what were the other inspirations that you guys had in making this film? Uh, like that pertaining to the story, or yes, pertaining to the story and the just to making it overall. Okay, go ahead. You, you start. Okay, yeah. uh, my father passed away when I was very young. I was only like six. And 
uh, a sudden heart attack and, you know, immediate death. And I think from that and me, that relationship between father and son, which is very special now in my own time, had you, uh, the story attracted me because that was what essentially was being explored here. What is a father? And, um, yeah, that's what drew me to the story. And then also, like I said, really the enthusiasm of uh, Tom and Sonny and getting this thing made and getting it completed. And uh, at that point, when I was brought in, they actually got footage and I could see, hey, this could be a, a good movie. And uh, I think uh, you want to be telling a story that you're passionate about. And I don't know how people make movies because, I mean, you're – <laughs> you know, walking on coals and you're sacrificing and they get this thing made if it's not something that you're passionate about that you love or you want out to the world you're just going through the motions you know, I know there are people who make you know, whatever, I don't want to disparage any filmmaker because making a living doing films is difficult but I mean there are people who make movies just to dump them out and they go make their living and they make the next one but uh, to me it's all about working on a project that you're passionate about and with people who want to tell the story to the best of their ability and uh, make it a special film. That's for you, Tom? Uh, uh, no, but basically for me, I mean, uh, my father wasn't in the picture, and uh, so I kind of know what it felt like to basically be just raised by a mom. And uh, it, was, it, it was probably the best thing that would actually happen to me creatively, because I was able to get in touch with uh, a, a female side since most of my family are women. I have three sisters, and, um, and although I have uh, two boys and two girls, I had a good example of what type of father not to be. And um, it uh, kind of helped, you know, in writing uh, a character like Grady, um, showing some neg- neglect. You know, but knowing deep down that there is something there in his heart. Uh, so, so that was one of the elements that helped me with the father storyline. Um, besides the fact that, you know, I love the tinker mechanic, kind of an indie major at LSU. Um, you know, so I, I like the science aspects of things. Never really was into or knew much about crystals or the metaphysical side. Uh, I do know a lot about the spiritual side because, you know, I'm a born-again Christian. Uh, that's the terminology, but realistically, I just know grace and uh, I know forgiveness and I know that I can't be perfect. So um, that helped me with these characters that were imperfect. And um, it, it has an underlying message throughout the movie that you'll see. Uh, but we're not preaching. We're not in anybody's face. This isn't facing the giants or, you know, courageous or, you know, some of those Christian filmmaker type films. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. Uh, this is just a story. And it's a story about real people and real people have different beliefs. But, um, but realistically, I mean, when we're talking, when we're talking about, you know, uh, what inspired me on the film side, I would say it had to be, and this is odd, two different people uh, uh, that impacted me on films, and that was Quentin Tarantino with his writing of True Romance, which is my favorite film, period, all bar none, uh, that was directed by uh, uh, Scott, and uh, we also had uh, Steven Spielberg, which is executive producer. 
So um, that story was just all over the place. It has a entourage of cast. I mean, it's it, it, the story just goes. It, it, it is amazing. I love it. So it inspired me a film to realize, wow, it's more than just watching a movie. It's actually a story, and it has to be timed out perfectly. Then, as I got older, I became a fan of Eastern cinema, and John Woo is. If there's anybody I would love to become or excel to, it'd be somebody like John Woo. Um, and my favorite movie that he did um, is definitely Red Cliff. And um, it's, uh, you know, uh, I believe it's um, in Mandarin or Chinese, but uh, uh, it's it's one of my, they, they, they've dubbed it since, but it's, it inspired me to tell lofty stories. And so I wanted to do as much as I could to make Tinker a lofty story, but it's so hard when you don't have more than maybe uh, a minute or two in dialogue for the first seven minutes of the film. Mm. You know? Um, So it's all in visuals, and that's where Sonny comes into play. And if Sonny was here, he would tell you that his love for his son is his ultimate inspiration because he is um, he's a father like I've never seen. It's almost like, you know, um, I mean, he's just, and, and they just have this relationship, which is absolutely phenomenal. And um, Max is his boy. And when he had Max, I remember Max from, because you got to remember, we opened up Cochlear Productions in 2012, so Max was probably two. Uh, so... It just, I mean, we would go to productions and he would be just so homesick, you know, when we were out of state and he was away from the sun. So I knew that there was that bond there, which really helped this creation of Tinker, uh, you know, come to fruition because of the way that he is about being a, um, um, a father and losing his mom at an early age and, you know, being raised by his, uh, you know, his aunt. There's a, you know, but they still have the strong family element. They still have that strong core. And that's what's really most important is that, you know, a lot of people feel like they're alone. And, um, you know, and Tinker kind of tells you, look, you got friends. If you don't have friends, you've got family. If you don't have family, you know, you have, you know, God. And if you don't believe in that, you know, there's always something else there that you have. But ultimately, you have life right now. You woke up. You have life. Do the best you can with it. Yeah. Right. I think also, uh, you know, there's a lot of advice to uh, people learning screenwriting, filmmaking. Okay, don't do this, don't do that. And you know, one line that I lost, I lost the first seven minutes. Uh, I asked the protagonist, they say, "Oh, your protagonist has to be likable." Well, uh, we don't have a real lot of likable protagonists in this film. He goes through changes, he goes through an arc, and if you start out with someone that's likable, maybe there's no place room for them to grow, you know, if they're already there. So, uh, yeah, that's an aspect of the story I found interesting. But yeah, the, uh, he's got a special relationship with his son, and I think, you know, that father's son was sort of the heart of the story, the spine of it, and, you know, going through the editing, cutting away everything else and there was a lot to cut away. Uh, it's sort of how uh, the film eventually came together, you know, what you see now. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, think about it. Who comes out with a, 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 a 
of a movie that mainly focused around a father and a son during women empowerment. people take away from watching Tinker? They're taking, it, they're taking it away right now. I mean, uh, last night I had a private message, okay, and uh, and um, it was, you know, right around uh, 8.30, and she says, you just watched the film on Netflix, and uh, thought it was a fantastic movie, and uh, she just kind of compliments on her first message where well, I responded back to her, you know, thanking her for, you know, giving it a shot because I always tell people, thanks for giving it a shot, even if you don't like it, you know what I'm saying? You know, it's not going to be for everybody, but it might be for you. Uh, but then she wrote me back and she got it more personal. And um, she said that, you know, um, so many things happen in her life that actually resonate from the event that take place in the film, whether it's losing a loved one or being a loner or uh, being a foster child, um, you know, uh, a child that, you know, doesn't have parents and have to go to a, another home or guardian um, or somebody who has a dream and they don't know how to accomplish that dream. Um, and, uh, but, you know, trying to get to the end of those accomplishments, whether it's going to be an invention or whether it's going to be a dream to be loved or it's going to be a dream to, you know, be successful. Um, I just want people to get, you know, that being who you are is okay. And no matter what type of experiences that you've been through or that you're going to go through, it doesn't define you. What defines you is your attitude toward those experiences and, and, and how you can use those in your life to propel you to who you're supposed to be, a better you. And this is the way that, you know, this is why I've got into family clean film because I want people to be inspired. My very first movie that I actually wrote on uh, was uh, called Zombie Plantation. And believe it or not, there was a father-son story, kind of like The Walking Dead. We were actually uh, finished with the screenplay in 2011. And uh, it was very similar to The Walking Dead, um, you know, with a father and a son, but he had a wife, and, uh, and then the wife passed. And so even in that zombie movie, I wanted to give people inspiration. But people are actually walking away saying, wow, this just inspires me to be okay with who I am. And I think that right there is the most important message that you can get out of it, um, is just be happy with who you are and know that who you are today is not your best you, that you can always work on being better. 
Absolutely. Yeah, and I would say uh, getting out of your comfort zone, reaching out, you know, to other people and making those connections. And, you know, when you take the chance, you know, I mean, it takes a risk to get to know people, to get out of your comfort zone, to take in a child as uh, Grady does in this film. And, you know, once you take that step, uh, doors start to open, opportunities start to open, and, uh, you know, you'll be blessed uh, in life. You know what? And I also, I mean, I know I'm giving shout out to everybody, but you know, I can't. And I'm actually glad I saved this from us. Uh, Wendy yeah. Barron, she is the mom in the film, right? And uh, she was so natural. She actually just, you know, she 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 has a child. She had a child or has a child that's about the same age as Kai, and she lives in Manhattan. And uh, you know, getting her what we did was really cool because we had several people that we had in mind, but their schedules didn't work out. And um, by getting her, it really just brought a natural, you know, she's got a beauty to her, a natural beauty, but at the same time, she uh, she had stage, she had stage experience, but not feature film experience. But when she actually delivered her part, they were very emotional and um, and Kai really you know connected with her because she does have that mother vibe going on and uh, and I think that you know it really puts icing on the cake to you know to, you know selling the fact that mom loved you know her son and nurtured her son and educated her son before her passing. But the other day, I was actually watching it because, you know, I put it on Netflix every morning before I leave so I can get the count. (laughs) 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 You know, I think there's also something that's like, you know, he comes back to her, though. So we kind of look at people, we look at people, okay, that's where I lost that person from my life. But with Kai, you know, he shows us we never lose anybody. And we can look back into the moments that we had with that person. Uh, you know, just like through the prison, and there's, there's always another thing we can look at that we learned from that as, as part of who we've become. So, uh, yeah, 100%. 100%. You know, because since yeah. you're able to reconnect, uh, it's because, you know, you just don't let that memory go. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually working on the short right now, and uh, which will be shooting in Baton Rouge. Um, Chuck Bush uh, and myself, we kind of collaborated a little bit with it. I'm hoping to be shooting it at the end of April. And, um, and it's, you know, and it's kind of that same storyline, you know, just because you lose someone, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're gone. You know, they're always going to be present. They're always going to be just as real as long as, you know, you hold fast to them, you know, their memory and their, and their, and who they were to you. So, uh, and that, and that's, and that's the coolest thing about that relationship with Kai and his mom, because he, even when he's trying to set up his telescope, he's remembering his mom's words because she literally leaves him a birthday card so he can read after death. Mm-hmm. All right. You know, I mean, so we keep her as part of Kai's life as much as possible. Right. You know, but, but she's not, she's only alive to him. And, well, as it be, she became really alive whenever he accomplished his goal, and uh, and that was the secret to the you know the third act coming to a full 
you know, was Tom Bramiana and Stephen Hoover, the co-writers of the new family film Tinker, which is now on DVD, Blu-ray, and of course on Netflix. My thanks to them for taking the time to do this great interview, and I really hope you enjoy listening to it, as much as I enjoy talking to them. I'm Chris Hadley. This has been the Viewfinder Podcast. Thanks for listening.